filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. When you have a lot of family come over, you want to be able to feed them properly. And therefore, you need a large hunk of meat. And so I went to Kroger, got a big old uh, pork butt, smoked it for 11 and a half hours on my Weber grill. Uh, before that, I had covered it in regular sugar, brown sugar, paprika, garlic, uh, rosemary, and a couple of other spices, uh, and then put it on the grill over indirect heat, 225 Fahrenheit, 11 and a half hours for a nine-pound pork butt, and shredded it up, made my own barbecue sauce, and it was great. And then we had leftovers, and then today, with the little bit of leftovers that were left, I busted out my cast iron skillet, put in some onion, garlic, a couple of bay leaves, and some oregano, fried it up, made some carnitas, and we had uh, Mexican food tonight. So those are all the things I did in to try and not have any sadness about this weekend's soccer activities. Yes, I distracted myself before the game by, by going to Tacoma Park for their Easter egg roll, and it was... Um, kids cover your ears. It was a fucking madhouse. <laughs> they had they they had, they were pretty pretty wise about it. They had separated all the the kids into age groups. There was two and under, and then they were split up into two year increments from there. So two and under, three and four, five and six, and up. And the only group the parents were allowed to go on the field with was the two and under. My daughter, being two and a half, was in the the two and under, uh, along with her best friend from daycare whose whose parents invited us to join them for this and it was so claustrophobic it was <laughs> unbelievable and at what location did this take place this happened um at a piney branch park in in tacoma park maryland okay mm-hmm. uh and it, it's a nice field there's a great playground where where uh the girls ran themselves into the ground but it was it was insane for like the 90 seconds of the actual two and under uh easter egg hunt and to be clear there was no hunting the easter eggs were all just out in the field in a roped off area all the kids and parents lined up on one side and parents were allowed to go in for the three and fours which happened uh, a few minutes later they specifically said several times parents you are not allowed to enter the field this is just for the kids let the, the kids field, have their fun. This the is their thing. This is not your thing. This is for the kids. Parents are not allowed. <laughs> Ready, set, go. God damn it, parents. We told you you're not allowed on the field. <laughs> Get off the field. You're not supposed to be here. No, I am talking to you. You think I'm not talking to you? I'm talking to you. Get off the field. Parents, many... get off the field. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious, the, the what, sound system they had going. What did they use to redistribute uh, eggs in between waves, or did they not? Oh, they have, them on, they have them on separate fields. They have them geographically oh, okay. separated okay. Okay. and then 
say and then also time separated by time uh so so that was saturday sunday i i got out my grill my my little weber grill and mm-hmm. did not use indirect heat cooked some brats and dogs some squash some red peppers, i also do as an aside asparagus. I, I do everything that i described earlier on my regular weber grill so it is possible you do, you do not have to buy don't buy into big marketing you do not have to buy anything besides your weber grill that you likely already have Although the, the uh, low heat, the indirect heat baskets that keep the coals properly. I mean, I, to the I, side. I do have, I do have one of those. Yeah, those are this those are true. pretty handy. Yeah, um, but that's much cheaper than buying a, a big old smoker. If you're smoking yes. a, a ton of meat, having a, a dedicated smoker is is worth it. Yeah, like but a Smoky Mountain or something. If you're doing something once every few years, then yeah. you don't need to buy something special for it. Ah. Uh, but yeah, I, I grilled grilled up some dogs and brats and some veggies and. It was tasty and it was good. I also uh, grilled some lamb lamb this weekend. Oh, nice. Jason, what did you grill this weekend? Nothing. <laughs> My weekend was terrible. Everything was bad. <laughs> the you only thing that was yeah. the area soccer this weekend. And the so only, it, the only thing that was good, right? There's two things that were good. Uh, the drive to the soccer plex <laughs> was very agreeable. There was no traffic. It was strange. Um, the roads were cooperative. Uh, I got there in a very healthy amount of time. Um, and the weather was very, very nice for being outside. It was, it was, I actually, at the soccer plex, they have a small press box and they have an overflow, um, couple of tents off to the side. And I, um, I got there after the press box was filled, but it was nice enough where I would have just stayed outside anyway because of the weather. Um, but once that game began, uh, my weekend began its rapid descent into the pit of despair and it never came out, including today. It just has extended. Um, I watched the spirit lose. I watched, uh, Joanna Loman get what turns out to be a season ending injury. Um, they had another injury before halftime. They never really looked like, uh, threatening to win the game. Uh, I went home. I rushed home. I should say to watch DC play. We're going to talk about that. We all know it didn't go well. Um, and then because DC and the Caps were at the same time, uh, I went to my DVR, uh, to watch the entire Caps game, which I had set to, I had extended the recording out into the future, knowing that overtime was likely because it's a Caps playoff game. Um, and my DVR began to glitch in a way that made it, I would want it to jump 30 seconds forward because of commercials and it would actually jump back in time. Um, but... (laughs) I would I would keep not realizing it had happened for like a minute or two and watching the same section of the game. It would jump back like five minutes, so it would be like far enough in the past where it wouldn't have just happened. Um, right. And since it was and late this was at game night, too, right? Yes, it was late at night, and I was burned out. I wasn't picking up on things very quickly, and I would be like, "I've seen this already. It did it again." Um, and so at two forty-five a.m. in real life is when I saw the Maple Leafs score the double overtime game winner after having watched the uh, first overtime be basically a cap shooting gallery without the puck going in. Um, and that was Saturday. <laughs> and then Sunday was just like, just being irritated with everything. Uh, and today has been a barrage of problems as well. Hooray. And the uh, kickers kickers lost this weekend on a almost midfield goal. They did actually like virtually on the midfield line. Um, yeah. Where that guy struck that, that, half volley which is absurd meanwhile i'm one day into um a home renovation project that has 
pushed me into a weird location for recording this. There's a hutch behind me. There's a plastic dust curtain next to me. And um, we're going to see how this goes. They made a lot of progress for one day. Well, hopefully that pace will continue and my house won't fall down. It won't. Those are the it two won't. things I'm, I'm hoping for. The second this one the much most, more than the first. This is the most progress they're going to make in the next uh, 18 months. It's supposed to be a six-week renovation. Like oh, I said. God. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the uh, Rough Weekend and Home Renovation Podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined as always by Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we write about DC United, the U.S. national teams, the Richmond Kickers, and uh, really despair, what a, sadness. despair and sadness. Also, there's been a lot of despair and sadness lately. Hopefully that changes soon. Uh, it's not going to change right away, though. DC United lost 2 nothing to the Red Bulls. In the first Atlantic Cup matchup of 2017, and we are going to talk about it. So, Do we brace have yourselves, to? bolster your fortitude by whatever is necessary. We are going to talk about that. We are also going to preview DC United's upcoming visit to New England to face the Revolution. That'll happen Saturday at 7:30. It'll be on News Channel Eight. Uh, if you can't make the trip up north, before we do anything, though, I think we've earned this one. Jason, what are you drinking? I went up um, to the Gordon Biersch in Annapolis and got a growler full of Naptown pills, and I'm already one and a half in, and by the time the show is over, I'll be at least two in. Or, I mean, wait, I'm wait, sorry, wait. at least three in. Annapolis claims the mantle of Naptown? Uh, it's it's a slang. I don't think it's, like, people um, yelling about it because Indianapolis is a significantly larger city than Annapolis. Okay, but all right, as long as we're clear. Yeah, if you're in Annapolis, people will use it as a sort of a joking name. Um, but no, I don't think anyone would really put up a fight given that, you know, and Indianapolis has what, like nearly a million people. Yeah. It's pretty close. Annapolis has like nearly 60,000 people. I think (laughs) it's, it's not Uh, big. I mean, the name was always, um, at least a little bit tongue in cheek, right? Because it's Indianapolis for a, as big a city as it is. It's, it's pretty sleepy. (laughs) Or at least it was in the 2000s when the name really caught caught on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to. My my Indiana hackles were raised <laughs> just a little bit by hearing an, another city claim the mantle of Naptown. Ben, what are you drinking? So I'm not going to straight shots of vodka yet. So I'm just nipping that in the bud for all you longtime listeners, you four or five longtime listeners who understand what I'm talking about. But I am punishing myself a bit. So I've taken two things that I don't like, combined them into one drink that is slightly better than the sum of its parts, I guess. I don't know. So I took I took vodka, which everyone knows I don't like. And I poured that in a glass. And then on top of that, I poured Diet Coke, which is the worst of the Coke products. Uh, Coke Zero is a far superior product if you want calorie-free Coke beverage. So that's what I'm drinking. It's yeah, it's not great. A diet Coke. Why did you pretend? Do that? Why? Yeah, Ben. Ben, yeah. I know you ate a lot of delicious-sounding pork barbecue this weekend. Mm-hmm. I did, but you don't have to deprive yourself right now. With can I? As few calories as you can get from high calorie no. beverages. Can I, I, bought, I didn't buy the diet, diet Coke for me. No, you can't. I mean, one second. Uh, 
I didn't buy it for me. I just, I needed to buy it for my family that was in town and it was what was on hand. And Ben, I know DC United was this bad. They were this bad. You don't want to waste anything that you bought when it's left over at the end of a, a weekend, but you don't have to drink it either. You're not getting any utility out of it. You can throw it away I, and get the I same amount getting, of utility. I wasn't getting any utility out of watching DC United either, but I did that. Yeah, that's fair. Ben, Ben's story just reminds me of, of watching a friend of mine after after a DC game. We drove out to the beach, so we were late to the event, the party that was going on. Um, and we the whole drive, we're thinking we have to catch up. We have to catch up with everyone. They're going to be very drunk. We have to catch up fast. Um, Uh-oh. and by the, the, towards the end of like when we were finally catching up, um, I walked in the kitchen to make myself a drink and I found him like looking at the alcohol and I th- assumed he was in the state that I was in and I watched him make a drink and he grabbed a bottle of like absolute and he poured it into a rocks glass and he looked at the glass for a minute and I was like, do, do you need some help? He's, and he just waved me off. Like he just put his hand up to wave. He didn't say anything. <laughs> and he grabbed, um, like some sort of uh, flavored vodka, I want to say, or or maybe gin. One of oh, the no. two. Which I mean, no. But he poured that in the glass, and then he looked at he like took it off the table and looked down at it and like kind of tilted it a little bit to see if you know it looked right to him. And then he turned to leave the kitchen, and I was like, "You stop right there!" And he's like, "Well, what? What?" <laughs> and I was like, "Put something in, like cut this with something." He's like, "There's no room in the glass." And I was like, at least put some ice in, like your your double vodka idiot drink. Um, put some ice in it. And he, what he did was he like scooted away from me and like tucked the glass into his chest and like just sidled out of the kitchen around me and left. And uh, that story ended for him having to clean up the bathroom the next day. Um, <laughs> I bet. And regretting that he did not take my advice. He's like, I don't remember that conversation, but it sounds like something that I should have listened to. I was like, yeah. While you're in the bathroom and we're standing outside, because no one wants to be near what what you did. Don't do that to yourself. That's the moral of most of your stories, I think. <laughs> yeah, pretty much that. Or like, I got away with this this one time. It was great. <laughs> this is not one of those, though. No. Uh, I'm drinking something of my own invention. I had very little bit of... Uh, brandy left in a bottle and wanted to use it up and had some maraschino liqueur that I hadn't used there that I have sitting there and wanted to make a small dent in that bottle. And so I kind of perused the internet for some inspiration, decided that those two things with mezcal and citrus would be delicious and put mezcal brandy and maraschino liqueur, which is not the sugary sweet, uh, cherry juice. It is mm-hmm. more subtle. And uh, a quarter of a lime. Okay, and it's, it. it's it's not bad. It's not the best thing ever. It's very highly alcoholic. And uh, you can tell. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's uh, it's just... It's fine. I, I don't know if it... I don't think it's worth naming right now as a beverage. It, it hasn't reached well, that level. But remember the recipe in case like DC goes on to win uh, by several goals on the road because it might have to become a recurring character. Yes. Um, much like or, shrubs. Or next week we might have to make Adam drink rum. Yeah, there's that. Desperate times call for That's, desperate measures. 
Yeah, that's a possibility. We'll see. But the three-game road trip uh, should be fun. Speaking of fun, let's not talk about this weekend and the All soccer. Right. Let's talk about so, something. No, we say good night, Jason. <laughs> we're 15 minutes into this thing. We should talk about soccer. Probably. Um, as long as Saturday was for Jason, it was it was just as long for DC United. After a pretty fair, scoreless first half, the Red Bulls scored very early in the second off a corner kick. And United didn't do much to threaten from there, eventually losing two to nothing. Um, probably the uh, the worst part of the night for DC United wasn't even the result on the field. It was the concussion to Steve Birnbaum in the late going. He went up for a header, as he does, having moved up to emergency forward with United just pumping in crosses, trying to find any kind of um, purchase against the the Red Bulls defense and uh, clashed heads with a Red Bulls defender and went down um, on the ground, ended up leaving the field on a stretcher. Uh, what tests ended up being negative for skull fracture or any other injuries, but uh, he does have a concussion. He will undergo the concussion protocol under the league's mandate um, and won't return to the practice field until he can clear that and will only stay on the practice field if he can continue clearing that. Right. Uh, this is obviously we're, we're glad that he wasn't more severely injured, but that was a scary moment yeah. in this game. Um, not, not on the soccer side, although that too, but more, you don't want to see uh, a good guy go down. Right. Anybody in this game go down like that with that kind of head injury. Uh, he has had some head injuries in the f- past, the, um, but this is his first diagnosed concussion. In the past, when he's had a clash of heads, there was one he's with the always team. yeah, um, one with the national team, not diagnosed. One with United, right. both were uh, ended up being at least publicly characterized as yes. as lacerations to the head. Yes, he, he uh, was bleeding quite a bit, but yeah, was apparently able to pass the 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 concussion test pretty quickly. Yeah. One one big thing with um with concussions is it it, it all depends. It's not just a amount of raw force that your your head is facing if your neck is braced and you are prepared and you are powering through it it is different than if you are hit unawares and your head shakes yes because it's almost that secondary um whiplash that that can exacerbate things uh and in this case I, i i haven't seen a lot of replays of it but i i in the first two cases where he had head lacerations, he was definitely the aggressor. Mm. He was the one powering through. And in this one, it looked like he had his head there and uh, the defender kind of was trying to flick the ball yeah, was, and ended up flicking his head and he yeah. wasn't ready for it. Yeah, it was, so it was think, Paranel, Colin and Birnbaum all converging on one spot with Paranel's attempt mm-hmm. to, to extend up um, and Birnbaum's attempt to move his head in, uh, in under the ball ended up being where the collision was. Paranel came out uh as far as i could tell was completely fine he didn't have a right or, or require any treatment but um right and physics says they would have had the same right but impact i mean that's how the concussions go sometimes is that two people yeah. will have uh what appear to be a pretty like normally if you get the back of your head hit the effects tend to be worse but in this case it's obviously the other way around um which just goes back to how little we actually know about um mm-hmm. concussions yeah um yeah so fortunately we're still learning a lot yeah, hopefully Burnbaum um 
we'll be okay and we'll be able to make a, a speedy and full recovery and return to the field to continue his career uh, and, and help DC United out in the process. But um, yeah, it, it, it wasn't great to see him go down. That was kind of the, um, the, the cherry on top of the crap Sunday that was DC United's day. Uh, I figured we just kind of go. Yeah. I figured we'd just go um, back to front and talk about what was wrong with DC United because there wasn't a lot that went right in this one. So let's start with the defense. Um, the second goal in particular was uh, a comedy of errors uh, for Steve Birnbaum and Bobby Boswell. The, uh, Bradley Wright Phillips runs right between them and just keeps on running and they both just kind of don't pick him up and he ends up one-on-one with, with Bill Hamid and beats beats Hamid five-hole. and that was that was basically the end of the game uh united did try to throw some numbers forward late but that that communication issue between two guys who've played together for as long as those two have and been such a good pair what what happened i mean it's it's interesting because there's been it, it seemed like it was fixed when boswell came back in but that's the similar kind of communication errors that uh birnbaum had with sean franklin uh, early in the year. So it makes you wonder if it is Burnbaum not being able to communicate well or or what or what's happening. But it it, it just reminded me of the early season uh problems that that uh the team was having and like you were saying with people who have played together as much as Bobby Boswell and Steve Burnbaum, you wouldn't think that that is the kind of thing that's gonna happen. You would think that they would be able to talk to each other or be able to just have a glance, have a hand gesture or something to not let one of the league's leading scorers over these past uh, three years just get one-on-one with Bill Hamid. And obviously uh, there was nothing Bill Hamid could do on that goal whatsoever. Uh, I mean, he could have closed yeah. closed down that gap between his legs a little faster, but he had you know, the whole goal to and, cover. He had no right, help. And, and right and, the- yeah deserve some credit for shooting while Hamid was still setting his feet. Um, there's a reason why he scores so many goals and some of it is, isn't just movement. Um, it's timing. Um, and knowing that if you shoot before a goalkeeper is 100% ready, you're so much more likely to get the ball, uh, past them. Um, and that's all he did is he shot while Hamid was still about to plant his feet. That's when the shot, the ball is struck. And, um, you know, while you're you're still planting your feet, you're not going to be able to then do anything else beyond that. Um, so he deserves some credit. I guess it does irritate me, though, that we've seen Wright Phillips take a shot from that location against DC so many times that um, Birnbaum and Boswell, not, not just the communication, but they should have known that that's a run that he likes to make. Um, he likes to diagonally slash across um, from center towards the right side of the box to shoot with his right foot from that, that area. That's a thing he looks for frequently against everybody. Um, and it's not like this is the first time DC's played them. Uh, it's, you know, a frequent occurrence. So that was just one more thing to be irritated about. Yeah. In another thing to be irritated about, the metros looked like they were vulnerable on set pieces and, but at both ends of the field, they looked less convincing in scoring them. They looked vulnerable to conceding on them. And the first goal comes from a set piece. Um, I remember in the first half tweeting that after um, Alex Muil got an open header and couldn't put it on frame, uh, he just completely owned Taylor Kemp in that one-on-one matchup. 
And mm-hmm. uh, e- even though he's, I think what I what I said in the tweet was he's no Dax McCarty in the air, but you still need to mark him. And then he goes and right. right at the beginning of the second half puts a corner in again, beating Taylor Kemp. Um, Jason, what was, was Kemp just out jumped? Was his marking off? Was Muil is Muil secretly a beast? Oh, uh, what's what happened on I those think plays? It was just uh, Muil is a very physically strong player. He's not big, um, but he's able, he's a he's a fighter and he's able to. Um, use his physical strength to get leverage on people a lot of times. And I think this was an instance where he and Kemp were grappling and he just had enough strength um, and enough momentum. He was initiating uh, the contact and got himself into the position where Kemp was unable to keep up. Um, And he held, he used his arms to keep Kemp from ever getting goal side again and kept him really from doing anything as far as jumping in the way. Um, And that's really all, all there is to it. The Red Bulls used a set piece, I think, um, designed to get all of the larger players out of the way. Um, I think they were looking for this because, like you said, this was a thing that happened in the first half as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think they used all of their main targets, the guys that you would think of as aerial threats, to isolate, get get a one-on-one they felt was winnable. Um, and, and to go back to what you said about McCarty, they, they've done that before. You know, Dak... Yeah, I was going to say, I was only half-joking on McCarty. Right. He was really good at open yeah, headers. If you go and look uh, through even his Even though goals, he's so little, it's because they would set up right. set pieces for him. And if you go look through his goals, most of his Red Bulls goals came on headers from corners and free kicks, and it was because they worked on set pieces that were designed to um, fool the, the other team into thinking something else was coming. And then he, a lot of times he was getting unmarked. Um, so at least... Yeah. You know, United had somebody trying to mark just um, being physically held off. Um, but maybe as a but, defender, <clears throat> excuse me, maybe as a defender, Taylor Kemp should work on the that marketing, marking. I know Muiel is a, a strong little guy, but Kemp needs to sure well, he, to do he, better he in that. Get, and maybe if he can completely beaten twice in right. that battle. Just, you just have to know if he can just get off the ground. Just get off the ground a little bit. Well, no, just I mean, a tiny vertical leap, that's, Taylor. That's what. Muil is doing is by leveraging his own jump off of Kemp. Kemp, Kemp no, I know. Kemp. And so what Kemp needs to do is actually just be that split second faster to know mm-hmm. um, if he gets yeah. position on Muil, Muil ends up fouling him to get this to happen. So yeah. um, it's just a, it's a split second as the ball's being struck basically is that's the moment that Kemp lost that battle and then wasn't strong enough to, you know, take it back basically. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's irritating because um as uh, Steven Streff put it in his um, post-game piece from, from Red Bull Arena, or technically he had already left Red Bull Arena, um, but he mentioned that Muil had a header miss. Uh, Daniel Royer had a header miss in the first half. So um, United had some work to do on set pieces at halftime, and it did not take, obviously, because they gave up a third free header, and this one actually went in. Um which is not great because yeah, you only get so many lives right. when you're and, giving up free. And the thing is, like coming into the game, um, I mean, over the weekend it changed because Minnesota gave up yet another set piece goal. But at the time, the Red Bulls were tied with Minnesota for the worst set piece defense, just based on total goals given up. Um, so it seemed like something United should have been able to get something out of, but instead it ended up being where the game was kind of lost. Because if we're being honest, it's not like United created any chances between the first goal and the second goal. Uh, the mm-hmm. game, that period of the game just sort of occurred, and then they scored a second, and then the game was effectively over. Yeah, one area where I, I think the game, the game was lost on a set piece, but I think it may have been decided in the midfield. 
when when United just couldn't hang on to the ball. And United's hasn't been a possession team for a long time and isn't going to be a, you know, tiki-taka possession style team. But when last year when they were at their best, they were a team that could slow the game down in midfield a little bit to take a breather to to relieve some pressure and they would at least build through midfield quickly when they wanted to go forward. In this game, midfield could do nothing. They would get the ball, be under pressure, play it back to the defense who would boot it long. And that was, that was, it happened over and over again. And it was really disappointing to see because you know that Red Bull is going to press you. You know they're going to do it a lot and you have to be ready for it and you have to practice for it and be, and it didn't look like they were ready for it. it didn't look like any of them were ready for it. Um, and it was it was really disappointing just to see not even the ability to relieve a little bit of pressure when you know that MO is coming. Can I just point out that for all the people that a lot of people were calling for Jared Jeffrey to retain his spot in the lineup and I wasn't one of them, this was one of the reasons why. Because when teams yeah. high press, his passing percentage tends to dip. Um, and he ended What was not, it in not, this game? Not just dip. Yeah, and in this game, I mean, he wasn't as bad as he was at Yankee Stadium, but it was still below 70% in a position where United needs one of their best passers to be in that spot because they trans- they rely so much on that defensive midfield spot to link the defense to midfield, and Jeffrey wasn't able to complete enough passes to make that happen. Um, Marcelo, for for his flaws, would have done a better job, I think. I think um, this is, this at least in part, this is on the coaching staff for not making the the switch back you know i know it's tempting to say oh well we won the last game with jeffrey in but you know we won the previous game with marcelo in um right so i i don't you know i don't know exactly if that's the rationale for keeping jeffrey in i just know that um for me marcelo's ability on the ball would have been very meaningful in this game against a team that you know is going to high press you um and to not have that in uh it contributed i think to a loss or at least to the circumstances that became a loss anyway yeah i wonder if patrick niarco had been healthy and not a late scratch from a hamstring injury in training i wonder if nick de leon wouldn't have started in that number six role he doesn't give you the ball winning of jeffrey uh but he's for the last year has been reliably the most accurate passer year plus reliably the most accurate passer on the team and he doesn't give it give up the ball I wonder if if Olsen would have tried that as a little curveball. I, I I don't know. I'm not calling for it. I feel like he would have uh, if he was concerned with that as much as maybe I think he should have been. He would have gone back to Marcelo. Um, yeah, you know, go with the natural option rather than um, right. And we know Nikki yeah. is more comfortable on the outside, right. and, and he he did and, move up to right. outside mid in this one, where he ended up being, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the most accurate passer on the team. <laughs> that's um, what he does yeah. Um, yeah i mean granted there are there's a caveat with that there's a lot of conservative yeah. passes in that and he only played uh 47 minutes but still um mm-hmm. you know when he was on the field united didn't concede a goal that's, i will say that's that that's true um yeah i guess no yeah. that's well i that might be wrong he, i think I, he I think may he have come up te- right te- after yeah he was goal. still technically on the field when the goal right. was scored but he was probably already <laughs> he was the walking wounded yeah. um but point. uh but the first, you know, one thing that's frustrating me, you know, you mentioned the first half, is the fact that I think United had the Red Bulls right where they wanted them at halftime. Like, the game was kind of ugly for both teams the, in the last 
what, five-plus stoppage time of, of the first half, we saw um, Felipe talk himself into a yellow card after getting uh, Soren Stoika's, like, third talking to to him and Lucho, who were having just a running battle. Mm-hmm. Um, but they both got the talking and, to, yeah, the lengthy I'm... talking to, and then as they both walked away, Felipe talked himself into a yellow. Um, and then Sasha Kleschen, who normally doesn't do that kind of stuff, got a yellow for kicking the ball away and, and uh, showing uh, – general dissent towards the officials and disrespect towards the officials like the red bulls were getting upset they were frustrated with how this game was going um yeah the first half United manages to go 10 minutes without conceding in the second right, half like it the, the, would have been a right, very different they, game. they might have been able to to um just lean on them a little bit and watch them combust and instead they gave them the perfect cure like almost immediately the perfect cure to all the things that were ailing them because that that wasn't just united irritating them that was four games of you know irritation piling up um yeah. and in the end of the first half it was starting to show through it was you know if your game plan is to muddy the game and wait for the other team to self destruct then it was kind of going right according to plan um but you can't then immediately blow it and then you also can't let the minutes that follow that go by with, so uneventfully um, and so that's, you have to respond. Right. And so that's just one more, uh, layer to the terribly unpleasant, uh, cake that we referenced earlier. Um, in the attack, not a lot of creativity. I think some of that stems from no real good possession. United did get out on the counter a couple of times, and this is where you expect Lucho Acosta to shine a little bit. And he, he didn't, um, he he was a little too slow to get rid of the ball at times. He would draw defenders and sometimes beat one or two, but the third, fourth, fifth one, because the Red Bulls were collapsing on him in a major way. And some of that's on a lot of that's on him, obviously not being able to get rid of the ball sooner, but his teammates need to make better runs and show for the ball. And I didn't see enough of that happening either. It was, this is a team that was tired from defending it seemed like, and didn't have the energy to make the runs they, they needed to. Um, when Ortiz got the ball in the open field on the counter, he didn't put his head down, or when he did put his head down, he got run down by Felipe, who I thought Ortiz was supposed to be a little bit faster than that, and that was disappointing to see. Uh, yeah, I was I was hoping that he might show himself to be able to at least challenge Patrick Mullins when Patrick yeah, Mullins was, was healthy was, again, but this was not, he did not cover himself in glory to use the horrible cliche. Well, yeah. I was not going to use the well, horrible cliche. Well, I did. It happens. This, this game deserves horrible cliches. <laughs> it's that's fair. That's actually really fair. It, it, part of the attacking problem to me was just the over-reliance on looking for the like one or two pass counter or the home run pass that, that puts Ortiz in alone for a breakaway from 40 yards or what have you. It seemed like United was going for that a lot. Um, and they, one, they didn't need to. And two, it doesn't really play to their best strengths, I don't think. Um, I think if Acosta and Ortiz combine, um, they're going to be much more lethal when they break out on the counter than if it's just Lucho looking to slot Ortiz through for a breakaway. And that's the only thought in his head. Um, now, the Red Bulls deserve some credit for getting a foot or a heel or, or what have you onto a lot of those. Um, or for using the offside trap to catch Ortiz a few times. But United didn't seem to have much more to their game plan um, than, you know, look for the one-pass counter. Um, And the reason you don't see that many of those is because they're easy to spot for everybody. Like, the defenders see them too, and they don't allow them to happen. It's like a basic 
uh, defensive thing that where it, the, your first step is like, don't allow yourself to be scored upon immediately. Um, and so then, you know, the next step beyond that is like, you know, more organized stuff. But the first thing is like, defend the possibility of the team just going in behind. Um, and so you don't see too many of those goals because it's a basic, simple thing to deal with. And it seemed like United was just hoping that the Red Bulls would make that level of mistake, like that huge colossal uh, shutdown mentally as a group and let Ortiz in alone. And it didn't happen. And that was kind of it for the attack outside of a uh, hope Burnbaum does something when he's up front. I mean, that's not that's not enough to win games on the road or at home. Um, yeah, it was it was aggravating to see the number of like pass from midfield hoping like, well, this is the one that'll be an assist. Like, stop, stop it. Combine with somebody, please. One of these years, United will catch the Red Bulls before they've ditched their 4-2-2-2 experiment. <laughs> and it will be wonderful. But we no, keep we catching them right year. after they switch back. Last year, the first game at RFK when the Red Bulls were terrible, um, they brought it back for that one. Um, okay. Was that the rain game? Uh, no, it was just a, was a pleasant day. Um, okay. But DC won 2 nothing, and it was just uh, the Red Bulls right. were just awful. Um, Someday yeah. on the road, we'll catch right. them at Red yeah. Bull Arena. Right. When, when Jesse right. Marshall inexplicably decides, yeah. like, I've got this thing that keeps working, but I'm going to go to this other idea that has demonstrably not worked. I really the, think Austria it's, keeps it's telling a command me to from do. on high from Austria. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. From uh, Red Bull Corporate. I'm not prepared to put it past Marsh to think that he is that good of a coach that he can make this thing work on his own um, because there is a little bit of ego there. And let's be honest, like the American soccer media has decided that Jesse Marsh is a great coach. Uh, in capital letters, though I don't know why. Narrator, um, he's not. Um, you know, he he's following, he, like, his success has come from following a, a playbook. When he was left without that playbook, he didn't make the playoffs with the impact. Um, so... Right. This is why I think it's on high, because of that playbook. But I don't know. I, I think, back to DC United. Yeah, uh, Jesse Marsh, isn't it? Yeah, back to DC United. Yeah. Is there anything good to take from this, other than maybe next year we'll catch them Again, uh, when they're doing their their ill-conceived experimentation. No. No? N Nothing good? Not Burn the tape? Almost. I mean, they weren't. the thing is, they weren't awful. They just were, across the board, not good. Um, like, yeah. every player that stepped on the field was, like, maybe De Leon was adequate. Um Right. That's, they weren't they weren't Minnesota during the first yeah, three weeks it, of the it season. It wasn't a like train wreck of a game. It was just everyone across the board not playing up to standard uh all at once in a game that you need to do that because the Red Bulls are now on a seventeen game unbeaten streak at home. Like as bad as they had been recently, they don't lose games at home. Um and they usually win, they usually get a shutout. So you've got to go in there and play if not your A game, at least, you know, B plus um instead of showing up with your like D game. Um, it's just barely like presentable, um, but it's not good and everyone knows it's not good. And that's, you know, this is what happens when you show up and play like that. Uh, there really isn't much to take from this one at all. In that case, we will take a quick break and come back to talk about the New England Revolution with our friend Jake Cattaness from thebentmusket.com. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh, me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? 
Uh, I think goats are, are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But, but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages or, or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not, uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. DC United head even farther up I-95 next weekend, hitting Foxborough, Massachusetts, for a visit to the New England Revolution, who currently have an identical record, seven points to DC United's. Uh, The Revs, of course, will host San Jose on Wednesday before they play United, so their record won't be identical when they meet on the field on Saturday, which kind of you know, ruins this whole introduction, but I'm going to go with it anyway. Uh, The Revs are coming off a three, nothing loss to Chicago, which followed a two, nothing win. We'll talk about that and more with this man, Jake Kattenes from the bentmusket.com. Jake, welcome back to filibuster. How's it going everyone? Well, Eh, you you haven't been able to hear the first segment, but the answer is not great. Well, let, let's get the obligatory question out of the way before I make fun of you guys for bringing me on now. You what are you drinking? Out, I am drinking um, Code Red, Mountain Dew Code Red, and, and water because you guys gave me an hour to prep this. I'm pretty sure last time you were on the show, you were also drinking Mountain Dew Code Red, and you had more than an hour. I, I Someone this will was, go back and check me, but I think I remember you drinking Code Red. I'm, I'm usually drinking Mountain Dew Code Red. It's a problem that I have. I should probably quit. But it's probably safer than actually like drinking alcohol every time I watch the Revs because I would be dead. <laughs> so it's kind of sort of one of those like fifty fifty things I have to balance. Um, but yeah, no, it uh, the the whole identical record thing. I, I was going to mention that because I'm looking at the standings. Even like a week ago, there was like a thousand teams tied at seven points in the East, and I look at DC. And I see, okay, you're, you're, we're both 2, 3, and 1 right now, but then I see this weird little thing called minus 6 on the goal difference, and only 4 yeah. goals scored. And yeah. now I'm thinking mm-hmm. to myself, now I know why the first segment went badly. Yes. When yeah, I we, was played, we went on the road to the Hudson River area, and that has not been a good recipe for DC United this year. No, and, and it's... I, I think I look at the East and... I want to say that I'm not sure who's good or bad yet because the home away thing is so drastic right now. Like everyone at the bottom has only played like two home games except for you guys. And everyone at the top has played like six home games. Um, Orlando, I think is what four and O at home. And we were supposed to play them like a month ago and got snowed out. 
Mm-hmm. So somehow we, if that game hadn't been postponed, we'd be on seven games played. We'd be on eight games played by the end of the week. I don't know who does this schedule, but something is wrong if we're going to be a team that we would have had eight games compared to everyone else's seven or eight, and we're playing a midweek game for reasons right now. Yep. Sounds about right. So okay. the Revs are also a little bit interesting. They last week lost 3 nothing at Chicago. Before that, one 2 nothing over the previously very, very hot, scalding hot, don't touch them seriously, they're hot guys, Houston Dynamo. Is any team as hot and cold as the Revs this year? Is that the story of them so far? I, I don't think there's a team that's more hot and cold than the Revs, just period. Like, even if you go back to, to 2014 during the MLS Cup run, I think we had five, multiple five-game losing streaks that year, and we won eight in a row. Um, very little that the New England Revolution actually do makes sense as far as form on the field. Um, I think on any given day, we can go and beat anyone. And also on any given day, we can just lay a complete egg, see last week against Chicago with a 30th-minute red card. And, yeah, like, those are those are things that just always have happened. Like, this is the, the Jay Heap's tenure. Um, this is a team that, you know, when they're running hot, they're probably one of the best three or four teams in the league. When they're running cold, you know, you actually wonder, okay, how did they make the playoffs a couple of years ago? Okay, we know they missed the playoffs last year. Like, it makes sense. Um, it almost, you're almost confused as to how this team made the MLS Cup final in 2014. But then you're not surprised at all because you see the talent. You see the youth that they had a few years ago that's still here. They're all veterans now. And, you know, you have DPs, you have TAM-level players, and it just, it's something where consistency hasn't clicked yet for this team, and it's a little bit understandable why there's a lot of new players, but at the same point, you're thinking, I really wish that game at Chicago hadn't gone to snot in the 30th minute because of red card, because I was really looking forward to that game, and it became useless, Um, and I just had to recap it for no reason. So, like uh, the Red Bulls before we played them, and really before last week, uh, New England recently transitioned out of some ill-fated tactical experimentation. Um, They were playing that diamond, but instead of having Juan Agudelo in his natural forward role and Lee Wynn in his natural creative midfield role, they reversed them. Uh, they, They switched back and got that big win over the Dynamo, and then obviously the red card happened. What was the idea behind that experimentation and... What was your verdict on it? Um, in This was mostly a, a preseason thing. Um, the Revolution, go back up, late last season when the Revolution started to not suck and actually made a play a push into the playoffs where we finished on goal difference behind Philadelphia for the sixth spot, uh, the Revolution transitioned away from a 4-2-3-1 into a 4-4-2 diamond. And you had two strikers in Kai Kamara and Juan Aguidelo up front and then a diamond of Lee Wynn with... Kellen Rowe, Diego Fagundes, Scotty Cole, some combination of all the talented midfielders we have in behind them. In preseason, Juan Aguilera was kind of sort of MIA playing with the U.S. national team. So it was decided, well, we have all these midfielders. Let's try Lee Wynn up top. And the idea behind it was Lee wasn't getting a ton of touches into the final third. So the solution to that is let's just put him higher up on the field. And in theory, it made sense. And in the preseason, to a pretty good success, it worked. The problem is is that it's preseason, and the best game that it worked against was against Red Bulls 2, because the Red Bulls were actually in this thing called the CONCACAF Champions League, so they left Tucson and went to do that. So when it actually like got to play an MLS team, 
the first two games the Revs played were at Colorado and at Dallas. And those are two teams you really don't want to be messing around with your attack against. So it went badly. It didn't go awful, but the Revs' offense just really wasn't there. Um, They created some chances, they possessed fairly well, but the final third product was just never there. Um, Even the wins against, you know, Houston and Minnesota, um, you were still seeing a team that was creating chances, and eventually against Houston you finally saw a complete game. Uh, Defensively they were sound, the diamond was organized, the strikers were getting shots off, um, and it worked. But that was after we had reverted and put Lee back into the playmaking role where he gets to, you know, do playmaking stuff. He's, I think, in the top three or four um, combined expected goals and assists in MLS per the analysis of all of guys. They tweet that out every so often. It's like Ola Kamar is always number one. The guys in Portland, Valeri and Addy, are like two and four, and then Wynn is somewhere like top five. Uh, so I, I think it wasn't that it was a bad idea. It was just the idea of when it was successful was never really going to translate against legitimate MLS teams. And I think all of the fans knew it, but it never backfired disastrously to where it's probably something the Revs could go back to. Um, but they have forward depth. They have midfield depth. We're still a little not sure on the back line right now. Um, you know, got some time to figure that out. So, Jay Heaps, we all know, used to be a, what was it a banker or a real estate agent? Insurance bank, something like that. Yeah, that's what he did. He retired from MLS. Yeah, was doing broadcasting for the Revolution. Then we hired him. Yeah, so he did, he did something like that. Okay, We're, I I don't know where you're going with this yet, but that, I'm okay with it. So, it, it's an interesting career path, and he's had some serious ups and downs uh, in his tenure as uh, as head coach. It's kind of a two part question. Does Bob Kraft know enough about? the fact that he owns a soccer team to remember to have an opinion about Jay Heaps. And if you were the owner of the new England revolution, what would you do with Jay Heaps right now? How long of a leash would Jay Heaps be on for you? Um, I'm going to answer this in the way that I normally answer it, which is somewhere in the middle because you know, yes, I think the Crafts are aware they own a soccer team. I think they they're aware that that soccer team um, plays at Gillette Stadium and it it makes money because they don't have to pay rent to themselves because they own the building because they own the Patriots. Um, I think I will say bu- businesses I've worked for in the past have had to pay rent to other parts of that business, and it is a right. So, however, however it works, whenever they're finagling it, look, the Revs somehow operate in the black, and I suppose I think mostly because they don't have to pay a hundred thousand dollars in operating costs to kind of themselves. Um, but here, nor there, I, I usually answer this question in, in a similar way, in that I'm not sure who the Revs would bring in that's better than Jay Heaps, and I say that not because I think Jay Heaps is bad. I think Jay Heaps is fine. He's a perfectly fine MLS head coach. He's got a career record of like. Somewhere right, I think, below 500 now, because last year brought him down a little bit. There's nothing... Fine in, fine in the sense of actually fine, or fine in the sense of dog sitting in a fire fine? No, no, like, actual, like, fine. Like, I don't... Th- there's nothing... He's not spectacular. He's not going to necessarily change the game of soccer. He is who he is. Um, the fact that he actually moved away and found another system that functioned last year was a revelation, because we thought all he could do was play a 4-2-3-1, and that was it. There was no creativity tactically. Um, 
even, you know, when we talk about the uh, Chicago game, you guys can ask me how that went tactically, and I'll explain it to you. I didn't like any of it. But there's, I, if you're going to ask me, like, who will New England, who will Bob Kraft bring in that's significantly better than Jay Heaps, I don't know that answer. I don't know who would want to come to Foxborough and run a team on a mid-level payroll that only signs 23 guys, doesn't have much of an academy set up, despite the successes of Fagundes and Caldwell, Zach Haravo being the third guy. I don't know. I don't know who else you could get better than Jay Heaps who wants the job. So I, I legitimately don't know. That's how I answer that question. So talking about the Chicago Fire game, it looks like Scotty Caldwell, Scotty Caldwell wasn't in defensive midfield nope. last week. And um, no. I mean, what is Jay Heaps doing? I mean, it's well. Here's let, let me explain. And can he keep and doing like, it? And, Kel- <laughs> and Caldwell and Kellen Rowe in a diamond, and I just don't know what is here, going here, on. The, and tell me, diamond, Jay, tell me. The diamond functions because Xavier Kawasi is good at soccer, and he is a true semi-destroyer number six. And that's the good news. Now, what happens is, is that you have the two center midfielder, I believe what uh, Matt Doyle refers to as the shuttling midfielders. Those two guys that kind of sit a little bit narrow and get the ball upfield. Now, Scotty Caldwell's probably the best passer on the team. Kellen Rose, an amazing all-around midfielder. Diego Fagundes is Diego Fagundes. So two of those three guys are going to be in that role. The beginning of the season, I didn't think Fagundes was going to be a good fit. I thought he was going to come off the bench and then the revolution would get wider in their formation. But he's been arguably one of the best Revs players all season. So clearly, I don't know what I'm doing. Against Chicago in the 30th, or around the 30th minute, Javon Watson gets a red card. Okay, crap. This is, this is fine. We can fix this. We're going to have Kellen Rowe go back to left back where he started and played 90 minutes against the Dynamo in a shutout, I might add. And we're going to have a four-man back line that still works. Okay, fine. The problem is the diamonds still existed, and I don't know why this happened. Instead of having Kawasi and Caldwell in the middle of the field and Aguidelo and Wynn out wide on the flanks and trying to counterattack, the Revolution, for some reason, stayed with their diamond, which makes it look like a 4-3-2. And, minute, and uh, Chicago destroyed it, as Chicago is going to do when you have Schweinsteiger, McCarty, and Juninho running your midfield. Um, you know, you slow, bring... slow, and also slow. That's not the point. The point is, is that they're efficient and they're smart, and if you're chasing the ball all around the field because your formation's too narrow and stupid... This is what's going to happen to you. Um, so I don't know. I didn't like the way that that played out. It should have gone to a four-four-one with just two banks of four. Get the ball to Kai Kamara. Someone off the wing, either Aguidelo or Win, gets to counter on a switch, and that's how you should have played that game. It didn't work. Um, the midfield did not support the fullbacks at all. This has been a constant problem for New England all year, even with the diamond, because the left back has just been getting destroyed. Chris Tierney uh, has been benched. For various reasons, he's not providing great service. He was getting beat uh, in Dallas uh, on, on balls that he really, you know, should be doing better on. Um, you know, Javon Watson came in and got a red card. Kellen Rowe right now might be the starting left back. It's not a great scenario for New England. And now, you know, Watson's missing a game. So you're going to go with probably Tierney or Rowe at left back against San Jose, which, you know, in all honesty, is fine. You know, God knows what Donnie Smith is doing, who's been the backup left back for six years uh, and is not playing in the USL, even though he probably should be because he's Donnie Smith. I, the whole thing doesn't make a whole lot of sense. 
But this also goes back to this first question you asked me of, do the Crafts know that they're operating in a soccer team? You can also ask, do the you know the Reds front office know they're operating in a soccer team? Because they have a 23-man roster. Narrator, they don't. No no USL affiliate, and the only guy who goes out on loan is Matt Turner. Down to, Richmond. to the Richmond Kickers. Um, I want to apologize for that goal that Dos Santos scored. Yeah. That is yeah, it was bad. Rev's affiliate. Was bad. That's Rev's affiliate on Rev's affiliate uh, crime because Dos Santos is a former Rhino. So I'm not. I'm not apologizing for Dos Santos. I'm just that was kind of sort of a weird New England versus New England USL kind of thing, and I was like, oh, that's not great. Yeah, that wasn't great for us either. Uh, I'm sorry. It's one of those things. Uh, Jake, I guess my first question goes uh, just uh, to the right of this left back quandary that uh, you've already uh, talked about and the various solutions that are all there, but none of them are clear. Um, You guys made a big deal about signing two TAM level center backs in the off season. And it looked like Benjamin Angua with his league background was going to be the main guy and, and, Antonio De La Mea playing for in, in the, uh, I believe this, was it the Slovakian league he was the coming Slo- from? Yeah, I, f- I think it's like just the Slovakian league one or so. I forget how right, it, right. you can't pronounce it. He's playing, playing for one of the big clubs, but in yeah. a very small country in Europe. Mm-hmm. Um, he seemed like the more questionable player, but instead he's been pretty good. And Angua has had his spot. Uh, he's been pushed out by a fourth round draft pick. Um, tell us a little bit about Joshua Smith. All right. Well, let's. We need to. We need to sort of explain how all this worked. Um, Benjamin Angoa is on loan from France's uh, Ligue 1, uh, EA Guingamp. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Uh, so, I, from as far as long term goes, De La May is twenty five and Angoa is like twenty nine or thirty. So, I think everyone thought long term De La May was going to be the guy who was going to be here for about five years. And we were trying to figure out whether Angola was going to be kind of like a Jose Gonzalez stopgap for a couple of years. And if if we decided he's really good, we can pick up the loan and, and be done with it. And then you have Josh Smith, who is perhaps one of the strangest MLS draft picks ever. He's 25 years old. He's a former U.S. youth national teamer. And he played out in Kaiser Slotten's Academy in Germany or something like that. And somehow he, is, he sneaks into the fourth round as a senior out of San Francisco, uh, tore up his knee in college at one point, and now you're just like, we have a 6'4 guy who's just there on the back line, and I'm thinking to myself, this guy actually might be able to head the ball into the net on a corner. We should sign him immediately because we can't do that. And then New England did sign him immediately because he's, oh yeah, started actually scoring goals on set pieces in preseason. So... I think the balance of the Reds' back line was last year, we weren't sure who was playing next to Jose Gonzalez. We weren't sure who the third center back was. Um, you ended up having a rotation of London Woodbury, Javon Watson, and Andrew Farrell that wasn't good, but it also wasn't spectacularly bad. Um, and now you have the problem with left back, where you have four or five legitimate options, and that was even before Kellen Rowe threw his hat into the mix. And suddenly that position has become a massive problem. We all thought Chris Tierney was an all-star a year and a half ago. This shouldn't be an issue unless there's something mm-hmm. with the tactics or even if Tierney's regressing a little bit, it shouldn't be, you know, this noticeable from where he was a couple of years ago. So I think the back line overall has improved. Um, Cody Cropper in goal, I think, has had some some really good moments and he's been hung out to dry a few times, which you really can't do anything about. Uh, so I, I think defensively the team is is improved. 
it's not spectacular. It's not Jose Gonzalez circa 2013 spectacular, but it's at least better than where it's been the last couple of years. We can officially say that AJ Soares, who left the team at the end of 2014, has been replaced. That's a positive thing we've been waiting for two years to, to actually say. Um, and we'll see how it goes the rest of the way. Uh, I guess my other question, you know, looking at this midfield rotation again, um, what really, I, I don't really understand the idea of dropping Fagundes for this weekend. Um, when the, since the switch to the diamond, he's looked like this was the formation he was really born to play in. Um, and this season has been, like you said earlier, you said, you know, he's been one of the best players on the team and yet he gets dropped this weekend, um, until, you know, the substitutions that came as a reaction to the goals and the red card that Javon Watson decided, I guess he just was done with soccer for the day. Uh, 27 minutes was enough and he wanted to go home. Uh, what's happening? I don't understand. I think I think part of the, the, the idea between between starting Fagundes and starting Watson at left back was um, we're playing three games in eight ga- in eight days. We can probably double up a few guys for the two home games, meaning someone like Fagundes. So let's let's try to get a draw on the road in Chicago, which I don't like in general, and I'll explain that later. But I think the idea with that was just a squad rotation thing. We have a lot of guys who are capable of playing in the, in the midfield. Um, even if Lee Wynn has to miss a game, you can just move Fagundes or Rowe up the field and then put in the other guy who would normally be on the bench. Daigo Kobayashi is a legitimate option as well. Probably even, you know, Javon Watson uh, in the midfield. Um, he, you know, aside from the fact he likes to get red cards in the first half, he did so last year as well against Philadelphia, another game the Revs lost 3-0. You know, Javon Watson, we think he's still a good player. And even though if he's a part-time starter or, you know, a substitute role player type, that's fine. I think what New England is still trying to figure out is if there's a best combination between, like, Fagundes and Rowe or Fagundes and Caldwell or Rowe and Caldwell. The two shuttling midfielders, I think, can be interchangeable. But if Fagundes is going to be playing and contributing as well as he has, it makes sense to keep him in the starting lineup. But I understand it for this week that, you know, hey, we've got a bunch of games in a row, rest Diego, let him go 180 the other two games, and try and get six points at home. So, Jake, I have a question for you right now. Okay. Uh-oh. What is your favorite pun? Uh, there are... This is this is Ben, isn't it? This is Ben's doing. Yes, it is. Um, hang bands. on. Hang it's on. two Ben's doing. It's two Ben's? I'm shocked. Um... There are no good puns. All puns are bad. Um, however, Shakespeare if disagrees. Puns, if if puns were good, uh, there was one that I read many many years ago. It involved um, uh, Rohan and 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 don't mess with the Zohan. And I thought it was really clever, but I I didn't save it. It was just Rohan, something like where the ride of the Raharim. Something like that, where I was just like, there was a lot of effort put into that because it referenced an Adam Sandler movie, Lord of the Rings, and something else. And I was like, okay, I can't boo that because enough effort went into it, so it's fine. I can, I can, I can appreciate the effort. I'm still going to roll my eyes. I'm still going to groan. I won't boo it because that's what I normally do when I see a pun. But you know, there yeah. are there is a point where I respect the effort put into a pun or a full on parody that I can appreciate the work that went into it. 
Um, but the lazy one-liners that everyone has on Twitter and Slack, no, 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 those are all bad. All the headline, the entire headline room should be just burnt to the ground. Um, yeah, all that stuff. So back back to soccer. Yeah. For for a moment before we get out of here, put yourself on uh, in the other technical area across from Jay Heaps. How would you game plan for the Revolution if, say, you were a team playing them this coming weekend? Uh, oh, this weekend, not not midweek. So I'm not, not midweek. About, yeah, I'm not, not midweek. Jose. So, so they're okay. going to be coming in tired. And how would you game plan against them? <laughs> if I'm, if I'm say Ben Olsen, perhaps. You know, hypothetically, sure. Hypothetically, okay. Um, well, right now, the area that you would want to attack would be obviously left back. Um, obviously, it's going to be someone who's more of a uh, midfielder, converted midfielder type. Um, whether that's Donnie Smith or even Tierney, who was a converted midfielder, or Kellen Rowe, whoever it might be. Um, that's the area you're going to attack. I think from across the back three, Farrell, De La Maya, Smith, or Ango, whoever's in the other back three, straight on as a unit, those guys are fine. Can you attack down the left consistently? You know, can Fagundes slide over, provide cover? Is Kawasi going to be pulled over there all the way? You know, can you take advantage of the width New England is giving you by playing a diamond? And attacking, obviously, not the top overall pick from five years ago in Farrell at right back. You know, can can DC take advantage of that? Can they find spaces in the diamond to pull away just the one holding midfielder that New England has, as opposed to the two they've usually had in years past? Um, I know DC has had problems scoring goals this year, so I don't know if there's a specific player to game plan against. Um you know, obviously it's going to be something where if I'm New England, organization has been the key. It's more of a, you know, it's always, you know, we're going to score as a unit, we're going to defend as a unit. Um, and sometimes when you're playing against a team where they have that one, like, really awesome guy, it's hard to take him out of the game because it takes away what New England wants to do. Um, so, you know, I don't know who who from Boston, who from D.C. is going to step up in Foxborough and make New England, you know, you know uncomfortable and play out of what they want to do. On the red on the red side of things. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, the the easy answer is Lucho Acosta for DC yeah. United. But when you mention left back being a problem spot for you guys, Lloyd Sam immediately jumps up. Yeah, in and, prominence. And, oh my goodness! And Lloyd Sam, God, I, he's rampaged down the flank against us in New Jersey on several occasions. So that's yeah. I have no there's no reason why Lloyd Sam can't just decide I'm going to have two assists today, guys. Um, you've just got to figure out a way, you know, who's going to finish off, you know, chances in the box. Um, yeah, that's been the issue that, that last part <laughs> well, there, that's, a, that's one of the issues, one of the issues, <laughs> one of, right. It's yes, getting the, the other into the box. Like not deciding to have two assists every week. <laughs> it would, it would be very helpful. And I, again, I think, I, I don't think DC is as bad as their record indicates. I think they're going to get better. Um, I don't think there's a lot of bad teams in the East. I just think right now we haven't figured out who's worse. Um, besides Philadelphia, I think Philadelphia might actually be bad. Um, but you know, we have to see, you know, we have to get everyone, everyone has to play home games. I think it's the only thing that separates DC right now is you've played a bunch of home games and you still don't have a lot of points. Uh, I don't think that makes you bad. It's just a different angle than everyone else in the East has, particularly the teams that are above both you and the Revs. Um, like, oh, we've played all these home games. We've gotten a lot of points. You guys are the only team in the East that can't actually say that. Uh, which means you're going to have to go on the road and make up those points. And as we've seen, that's a really hard thing to do. 
Well, we'll see if DC United can get on that <laughs> this weekend at Gillette weekend. Stadium. Jake, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online? Oh, my goodness. Uh, JCatnace43 on uh, Twitter, um, at uh, the Bent Musket, uh, thebentmusket.com. Uh, oh, my God. We're going to be uh, hopefully ridiculously busy with content and stuff because we have two games this week. Um, and uh, uh, we also have all of our uh, all of our breaker stuff going on. Uh, we'd like to, uh, I don't have alcohol here with me, but I would like to uh, pour one out for uh, Joanna Lohman, uh, who is out uh, with an ACL tear. Has that been confirmed? Yeah, yeah it yeah. has. We, we appreciate you, uh, we're, you sacrificing we're even gonna, theoretically we're gonna pour, for that. We're going to pour one out for Joanna. We hope, we wish her the best and, uh, you know, can't wait for, to watch, uh, the Breakers, uh, spirit game on archive on my laptop and WSL. All right, find us at blackandredunited.com. We're on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast, at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Find us on iTunes. Find us on Stitcher. We are on SoundCloud. We're on Google Play. We're on the Internet Archive. We are on the podcatcher of your choice, almost certainly. We're so in your minds. We are find in us, thoughts. Find us anywhere. We might be in your house. Quality, find us anywhere quality podcasts are provided for free because that's what that that's how podcasts work mostly though when you're at the bar watching the game this weekend tell a friend about the show that's the best way to spread the word and we really appreciate it for jason and ben and thanking jake one more time i'm adam taylor and we will talk to you real soon say goodbye jason goodbye but seriously we might be in your house look behind you <laughs>